This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Now, all the way back, Acts chapter 1 and 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he is giving them the mission. He's giving them the instructions. He, he said, listen, listen, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come. You're going to be filled. Here's your mission. I want you to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen. That's where we started off at. Man, we're in Acts chapter 20 now. We've been trekking through this thing for a minute, and God has been shaping and molding us. Jesus gives them this commission to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Last week, we had such an awesome opportunity to, to invite Pastor Allen in last week. And just thinking in context of this mission that, that, that Jesus gives over 2,000 years ago, this mission of the gospel being carried to the ends of the earth, to be able to, to, to have someone come in and break bread with us that's a, a Filipino pastor, that's um, pastoring and influencing churches all the way from Kuwaiti to London, to knowing that Jesus prophesied about this and gave this mission over 2,000 years ago. I'm not sure what other evidence you need to know that this is the real deal. Right? So it was exciting for us to step back and look at what this all of this thing looked like fast forwarding, how the gospel had been fleshed out since then, and how much the Lord has been doing and moving and carrying the mission forward. We're still on that mission today. Today we're going to be getting back into walking out the book of Acts. As I said, we're going to be Acts chapter 20. Last time we was walking out this, the, the book of Acts, Pastor Aaron was preaching. Now, when he preached last time, one of the things that he, he talked about is how the gospel changes culture. When, when, when we submit to the gospel and when the gospel really starts taking, taking hold, different things in culture are affected in certain ways and, 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 and things will go good and things will go bad. All of a side effect of the gospel affecting culture. He talked about when you attack people's idols, that they'll take it personally, Right? Because they are so connected to the idols that they don't know the difference between the idols and them. So when the gospel is preached and the gospel goes right at their idols, they feel that you are intentionally attacking them. That was a big deal and a true deal. And then he ended out that sermon pointing at what was happening there, where they was at. It was this riot that was going on. Today, we, we pick up where that ended off at in Acts chapter 20. Now, it's too much for, for me to read, so we'll, 
We'll read verses 18 through 27 together, and I'll just let you know when we come to that. But in the meanwhile, most of the other verses around, I'm going to paraphrase it so that you understand everything that's going on that leads up to this particular point inside the text. We're going to stand together, we're going to read it together, and then we're going to continue to walk through the rest of the, the elements of that. Sounds good? Sound like a plan? Sweet, sweet. So as we start to go into this particular text, I want you to understand Paul's disposition. Understand his heart. What's going on inside of his heart and his mind at this time and moment? You see, before we go into this text, the Holy Spirit has shown Paul that he's going to die soon. This is the mindset as we go in. This is what's going on in Paul's heart. The Holy Spirit has shown him that his days are numbered. He's going to die soon. So the people that he's looking at, he's knowing that most of these people I will not see again. The people that he's talking to, he know most of these people I won't get the opportunity to talk to them again. So Paul sets on a farewell journey of sorts where he will go and start doing some very, very intentional things. It's sort of like when you're watching the movies, and in the movie, the doctor tells the person, the main character, you only have X amount of time to live, and then the main character realizes they only have this amount of time to live, so they start becoming very intentional with their time. The thing that they do become very, 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 very intentional. Now, sometimes inside these stories, the things that are most important take priority. In some of these movies, what you see they do, like, okay, I only got X amount of time, so let me start creating this bucket list of things that I want to make sure I do before I go. And most of those things are like, man, I want to go to the Grand Canyon, or I want to do this, or I want to, man, and they have all these lists of things, of things that I just want to experience before I go. Basically, you start to realize the thing that was most important itself, they become intensely Focused on self. As we walk out Acts 20, verses 1 through 38, I want us to think about how is Paul intentionally using his time? Now that he knows that his time is limited, now that he knows that these faces I won't see again, these people I won't talk to again, and becomes super, super intentional, what are the things that become most important to him? We'll read through verses 18 to 27, and then we'll walk, walk verse by verse 28 to 38. In the meanwhile, I'm going to paraphrase. So, Verses 1 to 6, right? Again, Paul knows that he's going to die soon. The Lord has showed this to him, but he hasn't shared what the Spirit has shown to them. Not just yet. He will, but he hasn't shared it yet. But yet still, his focused intentionality with his limited time starts now. So we go in and the scene starts off with with Paul. Like I said, last time when Pastor Aaron was preaching, there was this riot. Somewhere during this time, the Holy Spirit made this thing clear to Paul. So the scene starts off with Paul gathering the disciples after after the riot 
And he starts to encouraging them. After he encourages them, then he sets off on this, this farewell journey, encouraging other churches. That's what you see in verses 1 through 6. So automatically for Paul, the thing that becomes priority, becomes most important, wasn't himself, not things that he want to make sure he get a chance to experience before he leaves, but he wanted to make sure he had an opportunity to serve others still, to, to engage others still, to encourage others. Those are the first thing he does, brings his disciples together and encourages them. And then he goes on this mission to encourage the other churches. Then you get the verses 7 and 16. Luke is writing this out, and he's remembering the accounts of the things that's happening, and he chooses to include this, this particular story in the verses 7 to 16. It's a funny story of sorts. Paul, he's continuing on his farewell journey, and he stops in a place called Troas. Now, when he goes to Troas, the the community of believers there, they, they get together. Paul is in town. We want to hear what Paul has to say. And they get together. And then they, they, they all go up to the upper room. The upper room is, is a place that they, they frequent at um, regularly. That's when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. They was in the upper room. So all of the believers, the community believers there in Troas, they all get together. They're all inside the upper room. And then Paul starts to preach to them. He starts to preach and he starts to teach. Now, the Bible said he preached a prolonged message. He preached all the way to 12 a.m. midnight. So obviously Paul was like, yo, what are they going to do? kick me out. I mean, you know, I'm going to preach. There's a lot of things that I have inside of me. I'm not going to see them again. And he starts to teach and to teach and to teach and to teach some more. And they're all together and, and, and they're trekking with him for the most part. There's a lot of things he want to make sure they know. I'm not going to get an opportunity again. But while he's going and he's teaching and he's, he's giving out the gospel there's a young man by the name of Eutychus. Now, Eutychus, he's a part of this, this body of believers, and he's inside the upper room with them, and he's sitting on the, the windowsill, and he's listening to Paul preach. He's listening to Paul teach, but, but while he's listening to Paul preach and teach, Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window and dies. Now, I know we, we can find ourselves there, man, times when you're listening to somebody preach or teach or explain these things, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I want you, I want you, and stuff. You know, you know you didn't hear the last 10 minutes, but it's like, yeah, you probably don't know you didn't hear the last 10 minutes, and stuff. I'll be telling my wife, I heard you. She's like, no, you were snoring. I'm like, that wasn't really me. <laughs> When Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window and dies. Then Paul comes down and he brings him back to life. Connects him back to community. Then he continues to talk with them all the way to daybreak. So Paul was, he was on a mission. 
He's like, man, I already preached at 12 a.m. Dudes done died. I brought them back to life. And then I keep preaching and stuff till the sun comes up, right? Till the rims fall off. <laughs> I'm saying, though, right? But the question here, though, in this story of Paul going on his farewell journey, and there's many miracles that happen along the way. Luke, he's writing these things out. He's remembering things. But you got to keep in mind, Luke is very intentional with which things he includes inside of his story because he wants to steer things in a particular direction. So the question that you want to ask, why does Luke choose to share this particular miracle story right here? We're going to get back and look at that in a few minutes. Now, after this story, in verses 17 to 38, Paul continues his farewell journey by going to Ephesus and speaking to the Ephesian elders. Now, what he chooses to say in light of the reality that these will be his last words to them is what we're going to linger at today because it's very, it's like, you know, I won't get the opportunity to say these things again. So it becomes really, really important what I say. Like, man, you won't hear from me again what I really want you to, to hear. You got to hear it today. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read through verses 18 through 27 to see how, how Paul starts to set up what he wants to say. Starting at 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of the repentance towards God and the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Father, we thank you so much for your word today, Lord. I that you will take your truths and that you will plant them deeply inside of our hearts, cause them to take root, blossom, and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Now, Paul wants to give some instructions to the Ephesian elders, right? It's his last time seeing them. And what he does, he sets up what he wants to say to them by using the testimony of the life that he lived in front of them. So I just want to, I want to paraphrase what he's saying to them in a way that speaks to back then, but also speaks to us right here, right now. I want to just spend some time to just paraphrase that for a bit. Basically, he goes to them, he says, now you've seen me walk this thing out. You've seen me, you've been there. You've seen me serving others with humility. You've seen this. You see me serving others with a brokenness of heart, a brokenness of spirit. At times I was in tears when I was serving people. You've seen this. Despite affliction that came our way, despite persecution that came our way, despite any form of sickness and ailment, despite the, the things that would hinder a lot of people, despite these things, you've seen me. And I, I did not shrink back from teaching you what was beneficial Regardless if you liked it or you didn't, regardless if you was going to be upset if you didn't, I did not shrink back. I taught the same thing, whether it was in public or whether it was in private, whether it was Sunday mornings or whether it was in the community groups. I taught the same things, regardless of which side I was talking to. I said the same things. To the Jew, I said, repent, trust God. To the Greek, I said, repent. Trust God. Now, I don't know all things. I don't know what's about to happen next, but what I do know is persecution and affliction awaits me. And there are times when people on both sides will take issue with what I have to say. Whether it's Jews or whether it's Greek, let me make this plain. There are times when people on both sides would take issue with what I have to say, whether they're on the right or whether they're on the left, whether they're whites or whether they're minorities, whether they're wealthy or whether they're poor, whether they're young, whether they're old. People on both sides will be offended and will take issue, and sometimes things will go bad. I know this. I've experienced it. I came close to death many times, but I have not and I will not shrink back. Here's why. Because I do not consider my life, including my style of living, my personal comfort, my ethnicity, my gender, my socioeconomic status. I do not consider my life as more valuable than the call of God to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. I do not. And that's why I won't shrink back to that end. Some would rather me be selective with the gospel. Don't preach certain aspects of the gospel at certain times because it might offend certain people's idols and they will feel like you are personally attacking them or that it's just a clever ploy to get at them from an opposing group. So don't preach certain aspects of the gospel. But he says, but I did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God, regardless of what. 
Now, Paul testifies to the life that he lived in front of them in order to solidify the instructions that he, would, he was about to give to them. He would go through all of this just to set up what he wants to say, what instructions he wants to give. So what are those instructions? In 28, we're going to walk through the instructions. that he, he, he goes through all of this to give these instructions. So in 28, he starts to give the instruction. He says, listen, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So yeah, he's, he, he's talking to the elders of the church, but what he's talking about and the instructions that he, he wants to give doesn't apply exclusively to the elders just because they have the title of elders. Instead, it applies to the entire body of believers in general, but he highlights the elders because he wants them to make sure that they are teaching people these things and that they are, are, are replicating these things in others. Like, a person doesn't become an elder when they get the title of elder. The title of elder only affirms what you already are walking in. He wants the elders to teach the flock to do the exact same thing. He goes in and his, his, his instruction was pay attention. Yeah. To who? First and foremost, yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to what's going on inside of your own heart. Sometimes we get so caught up with things, so caught up going here, going there, chasing this, chasing that, doing this, doing that. So filled with things that we stop paying attention to what's going on inside of your own heart. You start paying attention to where you really are at. I was talking to a pastor buddy of mine. Well, he used to be a pastor. He was no longer a pastor because of sin. And it affected him from being a pastor anymore and it affected the church and people was hurt. And I was talking to him like, man, if there would be some words of wisdom that you would give, knowing what you're going through, what would it be? He said, Pay attention to the red flags. They were there. I just wasn't paying attention to them. People confronted me and they warned me about little things that they were seeing, little things. I wasn't paying attention. And then sin happened. He said, pay attention to the red flags. The reality of it, inside of our own hearts, there are red flags that God gives, things that, 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 that are there that you're not paying attention to. You're looking past the way you want to get to. You're so ambitious that you're not realizing what's happening inside of your heart. But it's there, and there are signs. Sometimes people will tell you, but you're so prideful. You look right past the signs. Paul is talking to him, the first thing he says is pay attention to yourselves. Then he says, 
pay attention to the flock that you're a part of, that you're shepherding. This is important for us, for us to be able to pay attention to, to, to the atmosphere of the flock, the atmosphere of the body of believers that you are in, 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 in fellowship with. Pay attention to what's going on. Don't be so caught up just pushing your agenda and how much people need to serve you and what this needs to go like this and that needs to go like that, that you have no idea what's really going on with the body collectively. And he, he taught them those that, that, that care for the church specifically. There's nothing wrong with caring for outside of the church. There's nothing wrong with caring for the world that we live in. We should do that, but we should have a, a specific care for the body, a specific care for the church. Specifically. In John 17, verses 9 to 11, Jesus is praying and while he's praying, he's praying specifically for the church. And as he's praying, this is what he says. He says, I am praying for them, the church. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All minds are yours, and yours are minds, and I am glorified in them, specifically. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Listen, the world is going to be divided, but we need to be one. This is why we have to take the specific care for the church. The world is going to be all over the place, but we, in the midst of our diversity, we need to be unified. There need to be unity in the midst of diversity. We need to be one. We need to be speaking the same thing. We serve the same king and we represent the same kingdom. We need to have a specific kind of care for the body of believers, the church. Why? Because this is whom you will be spending eternity with. These are the ones that was purchased by God with the blood of his son on the cross. That's who we paid for. We need to have a specific attention to him, a specific kind of care. In verses 29 and 30, he continues to give them these, these final instructions, and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's still elaborating on paying attention. Paying attention. Paying attention to the enemy without. Listen, the enemy attacks from without, from without the church. The enemy attacks through social media, through people that don't have an, a, a, a gospel lens on things, and, and we buy into these type of things and stuff, and not realizing the enemy is, is, is attacking through people from without, through the world from without. But then he also says, pay attention to the enemy within. Sometimes we get so focused on the enemy without, that we overlook the massive damage caused by the enemy within. Yeah. Massive damage. 
Sometimes the enemy attacks from without. Sometimes the enemy attacks from within. Sometimes the enemy attacks from without and within and at the exact same time with the purpose to draw you away, to cause you to fall away. I want to give you some red flags so you can get a grip and, and understand sometimes when it's falling away, it's starting to happen. Sometimes you start falling away emotionally. You start to feel away when you get around people. You start to feel away when you get around community. You start to disconnect emotionally. You start to have more and more issues that just seem to come up for more and more reasons on why I shouldn't fellowship and I shouldn't connect. And it starts to seem to the point that it gets more and more convenient to just not connect. I'm trying to give you red flags here. You start to fall away emotionally. You start to look for outs. Then you start to fall away physically. First, you start to look for those outs, then you start to act on those outs. Start to find different reasons not to get together in community, not to, not to be together with the body of believers. You have everything set up for why it makes sense for you not to do it. You start falling away emotionally, then physically, all while simultaneously falling away spiritually. The emotional and the physical are signs of what's happening in the spiritual. Now, that's not as a stage. That is just happening. You start falling away emotionally. You're falling away. It's because you're falling away spiritually. You start falling away physically. It's because you're falling away spiritually. In 31, he continues to give them these instructions. And he gets to 31. He says, therefore... Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He's giving them these, these farewell instructions, and here he is again reiterating on paying attention. He says, be alert. I want you to get the... the the heart of Paul as he's saying these things, he's like, man, if there's one thing I want you to get before I leave that I may not get a chance to say again is stay alert, pay attention. Night or day, good or bad, rain or snow, whether it's the darkest of nights or the brightest of days inside of your life, stay alert. When he says stay alert, he's not talking about this passive thing and you're sort of just watching as things go by. He says stay alert and he described what he did during staying alert. He said that he admonished everyone with tears. To admonish is to, to urge to a duty or to remind somebody. So, so staying alert by encouraging and urging and admonishing your brothers and sisters in Christ that they may continue the mission to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. In word and deed, whether it's day, whether it's night, whether it's persecution and afflictions, or whether everything is all gravy, stay alert, keep pressing on. 
Let's go back to that story with the guy that fell out the window. Why did Luke choose to include this story right here, right now? On the outside, it looks like just another miracle account, but it's more than that. Like Luke would intentionally couple particular stories together for the agenda that he was pushing. Like Luke has an agenda in the whole book of Acts. Right here, it was symbolic to what Paul would explain to Ephesian elders about paying attention and staying alert to what's going on inside their own heart and to, and to the atmosphere of the community of believers that they was in. With that in mind, let's look at this story again through those lenses. It was a story. A story about a young man in a community of believers. A community where there was no lack of the proclamation of the gospel. Like Paul preached all the way to 12 a.m. There was no lack of the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel was being was going out in abundance. Yet this young man was struggling to pay attention, struggling to stay alert. So much so that he starts to sleep on the gospel that was being proclaimed. He falls into a sleep, a sleep so deep that he falls out the window away from community, and dies. Now, I read this, this story, and it just it reminds me so much. Reminds me so much of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's with his, his disciples, and it's about to be the darkest hour, the darkest night for him. And he, he's with them. He went out to pray, and he told his disciples to, to watch and pray. Basically, he says, pay attention and stay alert. The whole account of the Matthew 26, 40 to 43, he says, And he came to his disciples and, and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And that's when the enemy came. That's when the soldiers came. But the good news inside the story, this good news inside the story about this boy that falls out the window and falls away from community is this. Paul came out and met him where he fell. The Lord brought him back to life. The boy was connected back to community. And the gospel continued on its mission. Like I said, Paul went back in and preached to daybreak. Man, if you can see this, like even if you fall away, the Lord will meet you where you fell, breathe life back into you, connect you back into community, and the gospel will continue on its mission. It's important that you get this. Yes. 
after Paul shares his, his testimony and encourages the Ephesian elders by giving wise instructions, what he says next in verse 32 is what's most powerful to me. He goes through all this. He, 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 he shares, man, here's all the things that I did. Where, you know, here's my instructions. And in 32, he says this. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See, Paul's hope wasn't in his actions. His hope wasn't in his words. His hope wasn't in all those things that he's saying. His hope was in the word of God itself. We have to be able to commend people to the word of God and trust that the word of God can do the things that we can't do. We got to be able to trust that, point them to the word of God and trust the word of God is the thing that's powerful. They don't have to listen to me. But know that it's the word of God that, that, that sparks the light inside of their heart. We're trying to, to give people an inheritance that only the word of God can do. We're trying to build people up in ways that only the word of God can do. That's whether you're talking to your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends or strangers, whether it's somebody that's like you or not like you. We have to be able to, 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 to preach and encourage people and, and point them in the right direction. But the only thing that we trust is the word of God. Nothing else. Amen. Nothing else. We got to be able to do that. So many times we want to plant the seed water the seed, and reap the harvest ourselves. And we get so bent out of shape when it doesn't seem like things are going the way that I think it's going. Listen, God doesn't work on your time frame. You have no idea what seeds are growing underneath the ground and what way God will cause certain things to impact certain things. We have to trust him. Commend them to the word of God and trust that God is able not me. So I get ready to close up. In verses 30 to 35, Paul goes to, through all this and he explains all these things and, and, and he's sharing these very, very important truths. Watch your own heart. Watch yourself. Be a, pay attention. Pay attention to the gospel that you're hearing. Pay attention. Stay awake. But I'm about to leave, and there's one last thing that I got to say. If, if, man, listen, I can't leave without saying these one last thing. This is important. And, and he says this one last thing in, in 30 to 35. Let me read it. He said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
It's like, man, if there's one thing I want to make sure that you know that I want to reiterate on, last but definitely not least, listen, be generous. You got to know this before I go. Be generous. You got to hear me say this. Work hard, not just so you can accumulate more things, but so you can be a blessing to others. Work hard so that you can be intentional in serving your community and helping the cause of God and what he's doing, given what has always been a part of the mission. Even to the point of it being the last instruction that he would give to the Ephesians church, I'm leaving on this note. Be generous. Be intentional with working so that you can be a part of the mission, that you can help be there for those that are less fortunate, so that you can help in the carrying of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Be generous. Thirty-six to thirty-eight, and when he said these things, they knelt down and prayed with, with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. As we close and go into communion, man, I want you to spend time praying today. Whether you're breaking into groups, whether you're praying by yourself, listen, we should all be praying. Looking at how I haven't been staying alert to the condition of my own heart. Probably I'm seeing some things. Probably I saw the red flags and what I did was I told myself those red flags was really something else to make it more easier to ignore it. Oh, my gosh, man, if you'll spend time praying that God will wake us up, that God will, will, will breathe life back into us, and that we will serve him the right way. Man, pray for yourselves, but also pray for the body of believers, the flock that you are a part of, that God will wake us up collectively to serve him the way he's called us to serve. Pray for the church in general. Their eyes will be woken, their hearts will be woken to the true impact and intent of the gospel that we will continue on that mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.